I coach all sorts of people, but they're, you know, their, their problems are a little bit advanced. So you were talking about um, H. pylori and, and SIBO and things like that. Like those are the kinds of cases I love to work. Um, yeah, to boy, work. this is a heated topic. Um, I've definitely upset a lot of people talking about this. But... This episode is brought to you by First Attachment. First Attachment is an expert formulated supplement company founded by renowned coach Justin Harris. We've combined science with real world experience in each product. We are battle tested. Are you? Find your battle today at firstattachment.com. All right, we're live here with Colton Lukes. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Coach Colton Lutz, you can find him on Instagram, Colton underscore red. Uh, you know, just tremendous amount of knowledge. He's really been kind of bursting on the scene, pop, jumping around different podcasts. Uh, you got to, you know, we're going to get into it today, obviously, but a really uh, interesting background. So I think it's pretty cool for the audience out there to kind of walk through it. And then, uh, well, I think we'll, we'll scratch the surface on your knowledge today a little bit. And then definitely probably in the future, we'll gather up the comment section and, have you back on i know you've been invited back on to some other uh podcasts and things i know you know health and fitness yeah. and uh you know those types of things are really a passion of yours and it shows in in your content so welcome to the show thank you so much yeah i'm really happy to be here it's been wild because we connected a while back and it was just sort of a, a sporadic thing and ever since then it's been like i've just started to connect with the whole family here and it's like yeah they talk to big paul all the time i'm I'm talking to you i'm talking to to danny and dave and all these people it's like the, the really it's the coolest thing so yeah yeah just stay away from them on leg day i'll just tell you that <laughs> yeah, you're psychopaths no we were down in uh texas for a seminar and um you know danny's like this close to me like feel the weight feel the weight go slow like slow down i'm just like thinking get away from me but it, yeah. she was right she was right it was yeah she was, was, was we were at uh destination dallas one time and i was just okay. training on, on my own and she was deadlifting an obscene amount of weight. Like I, you know, everyone's looking at her and she's just rips it off the ground and she walks over to me really aggressively. And she's like, shake, go reaches her hand out and goes to shake my hand. And like, Hey, I'm Danny. Nice to meet you. Like, you just deadlifted more than 90% of the men in here who can do that. Like, there's no way, you know, it's she just comes up. Hey, I'm Danny. And just like the nicest person in the world. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we didn't we didn't get a chance to check out destination. We were down there. We we uh, the seminar was at Hidden Gym, but uh, I heard heard a lot of good things about the gym, and I've seen it yeah. I've seen it in a lot of the videos. So is that where you normally train, or? Um, yeah, I, I bounce around. I go to Hidden. I go to okay. Destination. Um, there's a couple Gold's gyms around here too that I go to. There's there's so much gym stuff to do in Dal- in Dallas, which is where I'm located. It's like you can't just go to one gym. There's like a gym for leg day. There's a gym for chest. You know, there's a gym for arms. It's like yeah, that's what everywhere. That's why I hear that's, that's pretty cool. No, that's, there's a lot of good stuff there. We'll talk to us a little bit about, I mean, the one thing we were talking about, uh, off air, we'll get to, you know, the, the, uh, fitness and coaching and how you got into physique training and things, but you were mentioned before you're in the military too. Yeah. Um, can you kind of walk us through what you did in the military and, and how that came about? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this is, you know, I've, I've brought it up on a couple podcasts and people have asked like, me to touch more on it. And I never really talked about it. Honestly, I thought about it. I'm like, wow, I've never discussed what I did in the military, but I was, I was in the army for eight years. Um, uh, it, a lot of that time was spent behind a desk, thankfully, but I was a cavalry scout, um, which is like forward reconnaissance. So, you know, we basically, you know, we scout out the areas, we create um, some sort of maps, just determining kind of like the topographical setting that we're in. Um, you know, kind of spot any enemies if we can. Uh, people say we're like the snipers without an actual sniper rifle. Um, it's just basically stepping in front of everyone 
in the front lines and trying to map the areas out so people can get an idea of what the dead space out and about is. Um, it was a really cool career. I mean, it was really cool. I, I jumped in right out of high school. I didn't really have a whole lot of guidance past like high school. My story's kind of wild. I was adopted and went through a whole series of events that led to uh, me not having a ton of structure. And I was like, I really saw at that point, like, I need structure. I need something, like, at least a person to tell me, hey, go this direction. Yeah. So I, I, I joined the military kind of for that and ended up, you know, creating this uh, camaraderie with the people in there and uh, taught myself a lot of things for sure. But it was it was a good career. I started when I was 17. Um, it was like my first year in the, in the military. It was February 15th, 2015. And, uh, just, I mean, really like tore it up. I mean, it was, it was a good time. The first couple of years were like the typical army stuff. You know, you're, you're shooting all the weapon systems, uh, M4s, M9s, 240 Bravos, 249s, like um, Mark 19s, 50 cals, like everything there is to offer, um, get your hands on and play with. And that was a really good time. As the career progressed, um, I was like, man, this stuff is beating me up, you know, 20k ruck marches and jumping out of helicopters and and doing a lot of the stuff that knees don't genuinely love uh, was kind of taking its toll on my body. And I also developed at that time, like a really big passion for um, manipulating my physique with diet and nutrition at that point, you know, I was sure. really fascinated with like, what is cutting? What is bulking? What is, you know, putting more mass on what is getting leaner and uh, conducively, it wasn't awesome to be in the military and uh, concurrently try to do those things. So it's like, how can I maybe take a step back from being all crazy and stuff and going full force into, you know, these really cool things, but limiting in the same breath. Um, so I actually became a recruiter for a little bit of time for, uh, four years, almost towards the end of my career to step away and get into more of a controlled setting so I could focus more on bodybuilding. And I, I did that for a good four years. Um, probably the hardest time of my life. Honestly, recruiting was by far harder than any component of, uh, active duty military. Yeah. I can um, imagine. Yeah. It's, it's like the highest stress sales job one can imagine. It's crazy. Um, but it did allow me to like live a normal civilian life. Sure. Bodybuild, compete, um, won my natural pro card in the PNBA, um, during that time. And then, uh, at the, at the end of eight years, I was kind of like, you know what? I have all these people who are really interested in, in getting their bodies uh, enhanced, better, uh, overall improve what they're doing with themselves. And I, I felt like I was pretty confident in being able to take my career um, by its own hands, you know, do my own thing. And and that's what I did. And I left the military. Um, my contract ended and I got out honorably, thankfully, and then moved on and just started my own business from there. Like literally one day it was crazy because like one day i was in the military in a uniform yeah. the next day i was out on the like you know just not in the military like a normal guy and it was that feeling is quite abstract i'll say that yeah you had, like all this rigidity and you had to have your face shaved and your hair cut and you had a uniform every single day and going from that to like well shit i don't have to wake up at 4 a.m like yeah. that's crazy you know so that was a transition but it was honestly it was like a really good transition i i found that um you know, you can you can really take control of your time and, and life when you have um, your own will to work. You know, when, you, when you're right. able to, to bring your work capacity to the forefront of living, um, you can prove to yourself that like, holy shit, I can, you know, make a living. I can even exceed what I need for living and 
far beyond by myself. I don't need a organization or something of that nature. Right. Yeah. yeah and I'm curious to, to, you know, was it, uh, what attracted you first to get into, you know, when you went into the military and then maybe what are some things that you, you were able to take out of that and kind of apply? Yeah. Um, what attracted me first, to be honest with you was the, like I said, the structure, but also the, the ability to do things that not many others could. I always kind of was, um, I idolized being the the black sheep, if you will. And so it was really appealing to me to have the opportunity to jump out of helicopters, you know, go yeah. to different schools in the army and, and learn how to shoot different weapon systems or shoot at 600 yards or 700 yards and, you know, drive a, a Hummer or a, a Bradley or a, you know, a, all different types of stuff. Right. It's, it's just, that experience in and of itself was really attractive and it was a blast. Like I encourage one of my unpopular opinions is I think everyone should serve in the military in some capacity. Sure. It was, it was a blast. Like I learned so much, did so much that I've no one's ever going to be able to say, like I took a couple hand grenades and I threw them all at once, like watched them explode. And like, no one does that. So uh, it was for the exclusivity. um, Yeah. And, and, in part of that, like I was a very lonely kid in high school. Like I loved yeah. training and I brought my own food to school and stuff and was like basically a bodybuilder back then. So I was like, man, I don't have like anybody. And then I thought like, well, if I join the military, I'll have friends and they have to be my friends. So um, that was kind of the case. <laughs> we, yeah. you know, like you, you get a lot of um, people surrounding you and, and they become your family. I mean, the, the guys I, I met in there are literally to this day still communicating with me and the closest people I have in my life. So, yeah. Yeah. I know I had a friend who, uh, a little bit different scenario, but the structure really helped him a lot to your point. Uh, this is years back when he was 17, the judge was a retired Marine Corps and he said, well, you know, you can go away for this many years or you can join the Marine Corps. I'll let your mom, you know, if your mom will sign off on it. And he's like, looks like I'm going to the Marine Corps, but he said <laughs> it was a, it was the best thing he ever did. Cause he said he was in all kinds of trouble and just chaos, but that yeah. really, you know, took all his energy and, and aggression right. and, and channeled it in a positive yeah. way. And, you know, I, I just, rem- I remember, you know, in our mid twenties, even just, you know, room was always tidy. He was always on time, yep. clean, clean looking, you know, had his, he was just, he was always tight. And uh, he's like, now I was never like this before then. He's like, now I just can't, I can't stop. So yeah. Yeah. Well, good, good stuff. No, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, first we can kind of, I know there's a ton of knowledge and topics, so we'll kind of go through, I know you, uh, on your Instagram, you post a lot of videos about these topics, so we'll kind of walk through some of them, but um, as far as your competition, you know, what, uh, how long was your prep for that? And, and are there any things you noticed? I know you, you know, you work with a lot of different athletes now, just being natural in that competition, anything you notice may be different than what you see or hear from you know, enhanced, uh, competitors, just kind of curious that, that experience and how that was for you. Yeah. So when I was, you know, competing naturally back then, it was, it was a lot different. Uh, I didn't know a whole lot, you know, I just kind of through the military, I knew that like blunt force trauma was the way to get things done, like just work and work more. Um, so when I was coming up, you know, I, I, I would watch those old videos of like Ronnie Coleman when I was really young, like, yeah. you know, had a, he's in his patrol car, had like the five gallon Tupperware of chicken and just kind of like grazed on it all day. And I was like, that's how you do it. Right. So like just work hard and I can get like that. And so I, I didn't really have a objective ceiling in my mind. I just kind of knew if I worked hard, I'd keep going. And, um, that's really how I, I did that first prep. It was all about kind of like I, I did 75 minutes of cardio on the stair climber twice a day. I mean, it was mm. wild. I thought, 
you know, I thought cheat meals were an absolutely mandatory thing on a, a fat loss phase. So I had to go get like, a, <laughs> it's sad to say now, but I get like a 16 inch pizza, like every two or three days, you know, and like use that as like my refeed. And uh, just, it was, it was a wild time. It was just fun. You know, bodybuilding was yeah. really fun back then. Cause you don't know any better and you're, you're just like, you're in this group of people and it was a really good time. Um, and, and that's, you know, it was kind of a blur to be honest, cause it was so much fun. I was just really enjoying my, my process. And uh, I was on a team of bodybuilders. Um, we were all kind of like on our own team. And so we were all hanging out together. We'd all train together. There was no training program. There was no, uh, like cardio regiment exactly. It was just kind of like, do your thing. Yeah. And and we just kind of heard like in the background and the periphery was like, okay, well, you can like do things to improve your performance. But it was sort of like this, this misnomer. We didn't know what that meant. It was like, okay, I'll take creatine. You know, like, what, what do you mean? Like, I'll sure. just eat more chicken, like Ronnie Coleman. Um, and then that progressed into like, okay, there's definitely people, because I would go to shows with people on my bodybuilding team. And I'm, I was like 170 pounds at that point. And I'd see dudes who are like 250 pounds and be like, what's going on here? Like they're, I see them training every day and they're not doing anything different than me. Right. Just as much as them, like what's going on. So, um, that kind of led me into that path. But when I stepped on stage, it was all just kind of about the fun of it. And I didn't even think I was going to win. I didn't know anything about bodybuilding. Um, when I, you know, it, it, natural shows work very similar to, um, you know, regional level NPC shows. So you get in your class, um, a novice class, then an open class and then an overall class. And I was winning each class and I'm like, is it good to be in the center? Like I didn't even know. Yeah. Uh, and then I won and, and then I did it again and got my pro card. I'm in the PMBA. So it was just kind of like a, it's a blur to me, honestly, because it was just fun back then. You just purposely yeah. worked and you didn't really care too much about the details. Yeah. I remember I, I got to the point cause I've done, uh, like I've done powerlifting, strongman, bodybuilding, and then, uh, I ran a few 10 Ks and. Uh, a shorter distance triathlon so don't ask but <laughs> it was always though that the, the like i was kind of different where i liked the work i mean yeah. i was so i knew i was ready or as ready as i could be um because i just didn't care about the outcome so i was kind of a little bit opposite i didn't really have much fun at the competitions i just was more i just liked the process you know like yeah. in my like you know a couple years ago i competed my wife's just like what's wrong with you? Like, you're not excited. I'm like, no, I was like, I just, you know, I like the hard work and then I know there's an end and you kind of move on from there. And it's like, what's yeah. the next goal? You know, it's, yeah. I guess it's the the football coach in me, you know, just kind of like the preparation for the game is more exciting than the actual game. And right. Then I want to go over film and figure out how do we improve from there? You know? Yeah, so it's, I, I agree with that a ton, man. And so that's why you, that's a lot of the reasons why I left the military and to get into business. Cause there is a ceiling, you know, when you're in the military, there's time and grades. So you can't exceed yeah. a certain rank once you have to meet a certain time of service. And I was at, I, my career was insane. So people are going to hear this and he's, they're going to be like, he's lying. I was an E6 four years into my military career, um, which is a staff sergeant in the army. And I was up for E7, but I couldn't get it because I hadn't been in service for six years. And um, I was like, man, I don't want to wait. And then I was up for promotion, but you have to go to schools. You have to do like certain things. It's time and grade. And I was like, I don't want to do all this crap. And I was like, I just want to be like people. Like, I just want to be better. And it's like the process of getting promoted that I enjoy. It's not actually getting promoted. Right. And so it was like ah, business. I can just work my ass off and that process is an everyday thing. And that's truly right. like, I talked to, to Paul about this, but that's like truly the process that me and Paul agreed on that we love is like getting in there and doing the due diligence, like getting right. in there and working that out and, and, you know, meeting 
the dough, right? And, right, and right, right. every single day. I love the process. That's why I love bodybuilding too. Well, then we transition to talk a little bit about like, you know, you as a coach now and, and your clients and things. Can you give us just an overview of this, you know, roughly what type of clients you work with? What does that mix of clientele look like? Yeah. Yeah. So initially um, the clients I worked with were pretty much strictly people interested in like performance, um, whether that was uh, athletes of, of a certain nature with strongman, powerlifters or bodybuilders. Hmm. I just kind of extrapolated my knowledge. I had a degree at, in science and nutrition at the time and um, really tried to just level them up with nutrition. Uh, and then it evolved more into, okay, well, I see an opportunity here to expand and grow. Um, I'm not super interested in working with average people not to be rude but like yeah it's just I, I want it's exciting to work with a competitor because you can see changes every week you can get feedback that's really powerful every single week and that's exciting to be in that process so i was like well what i could do is expand a team and and build a, a, a full-out team to to kind of work in that direction while i work on my passion project right and that's exactly what i did and um i, I basically hired two coaches full-time to manage clients and then basically you know I, I taught them and mentored them how to do everything um, read blood work you know try to associate cause and effect between coaching and client relationships um, and ultimately expanded that group and then I got you know a media crew and then I got um, a sales crew which is like a whole nother thing but it's it, it just became um, for me it was like I want to build a business so I can live yeah. the lifestyle and coach people that I love to coach and like yeah focus on that. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I coach all sorts of people, but they're, you know, their, their problems are a little bit advanced. So you were talking about um, H. pylori and, and SIBO and things like that. Like those are the kinds of cases I love to work. Um, I love to get a profound result. Um, it, being honest, like general weight loss is fairly easy. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it's everyone, when everyone says like, I just don't know how to lose weight. I'm like, yes, you do. You know, it's, yeah. you, you move a little bit more and you, you put the fork down some. But sometimes the cases get complex and there is issues that are present and there's some metabolic insufficiency and yep. being able to address that and turn someone's life around and improve, you know, symptoms of depression. We've all been there. We've we've helped someone through some really dark times. And that's what I love. Um, so I try to focus more on those things. But generally, I say probably two thirds of our clientele is general population, sort of people looking for help, um, advancing their blood work and um, health parameters, longevity. Um, we work with a lot of people focused on longevity and, and strictly like using pharmacology and um, health things, right, to uh, level up longevity. But I'm more focused on the other one third who's competitors, creating timelines for them, mapping out the career sort of thing. That's what I'm really invested in. Yeah, no, I always found it interesting. You know, I would, uh, when I was years ago, when I was a, a, a trainer, uh, in person, you know, it was, I would call them my bill payers. Like I love them, but yeah. they're just not my ideal client, but they yeah. put food on the table and I still gave them the same attention, right. but I would, I would, I would go out and seek and I, I, I wouldn't call it a sales pitch, but I would still say like from a health perspective, like I would do these assessments we had and I would mm -hmm. say from a health perspective, you don't need a trainer. I was like, but if you want to be elite or you want to be at an optimal level, those are the only type of clients I work with. I was like, so, and that, from that standpoint, like we, we both agree you're not there. And the ones that would say, I want that. I was like, cool. You know, it was, yeah. it, it, it was crazy how many like people either were in contest shape and just said, I don't want to go on stage or would get pretty dang close. And it was yeah. just like, it was pretty cool to see that. And they were doing like really hard, uh, you know, 
diets and, and measurements and things and uh, very calculated. And they were, you know, those are the ones that, cause I, I would tell people then their friends would want me to work with them. I'm like, guys, the way I do it, it's so precise that I'm not, I'm not a good, like just general coach. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can have little this, little that. Like I, I, it's very, I, you know, I'm not uh, an atomic physics, you know, <laughs> masters like, like Justin, but I'm uh, I'm very much on the math and, and the, the, you know, forecasting and, and calculating out like what someone needs and how they metabolize it and all that good stuff. So yeah. it was, I can, I can appreciate the different types of clients and kind of um, how that all works. But I know you do a lot of different, we talked a little about like gut health, you know, can you talk a little more? I'd like to, um, I recently had a functional nutritionist on the, on our podcast and um, uh, a couple of friends of mine that work in that space. So I'm curious to hear more about what you're experiencing, what, you know, just is from a gut health standpoint and just maybe some common things that people maybe, uh, uh, symptoms maybe they have, but they just don't yeah. know that there's a gut health issue. Yeah. I mean, there's holy crap. That's a lot to unpack, right? Like it, it's, uh, it's a rough world out there right now. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people know it. There's a lot of things in our food, you know, it's no secret, like microplastics are everywhere. It's, it's not really like a, he said, she said thing or a woo woo thing. It's like, right. There's microplastics everywhere. There's these emulsifying agents in a lot of our, um, prepared food that, you know, can tear, uh, tight junctions apart, essentially, if, if you look at how an enterocyte works. And so, um, you know, it, basically in the modern world and we have, you can test your water, you can go to egw.org, um, and see your current zip codes, water testing and see mm. all the pollutants in your your food and or sorry in your water and and you yeah. can find like there's this antibiotic you know there's there's doxycycline in my water at this much of a percentage and that's there you know so people are perpetually you know impacting their immune system and their gi function and their their microbiota and so when i am working with someone it's always almost always at least a, a part of me is looking at their guts and I'm, i want to know very specifically how it's functioning and how they're feeling. And, and a, a lot of people, especially primary care physicians, simply just don't correlate like depression with GI yeah. dysfunction. And yeah. you know, the, the GI is very responsible for serotonin uh, manipulation and, and, and creating a lot of neuropeptides that cross the blood brain barrier very well. Um, a, another thing too, is it, it gets very tricky with like females, you know, and we're talking about like estrogen measurements, you know, if a female is suffering from symptoms of low estrogen, you know, she might have also uh, concurrently like GI distress and, mm -hmm. and your gut produces glucuronidase, which is an enzyme that basically manipulates an estrogen to make it an active form of estrogen. So she might yeah. have enough estrogen, but she might not have active uh, estrogen due to that glucuronidase enzyme being insufficiently produced by the appropriate gut microbiota. Um, so like, there's just so many different issues that stem from the gut. And, and what I typically see is that someone along the lines of uh, a competitor or a, a general population um, type has some form of gut dysfunction, yeah. whether that's easily ameliorated through just a couple diet changes, or maybe it's, it's a bit more intense and it requires a form of a protocol. Um, there's something there. And so how I kind of determine that process or determining what might be wrong is I have a couple checklists I have people go through, but a lot of it is, you know, really honing in on how is your digestion. So I'm, I'm asking, like, if you're familiar with the, the Bristol stool chart, not a lot of people are. And I think, mm. you know, if you're watching this, go look up Google Bristol stool chart and you'll mm -hmm. see pictures on the Internet. There's uh, one through seven uh, types of stool. You mm -hmm. want to be three and four most often. 
Um, and I'm like, what types of stool are you having throughout the week? Yeah. You know, most people are like type one, type two, type seven, you know, diarrhea all the week. And I'm like, okay, we're passing stools daily, but if they're looking like this, there's, there's something wrong there. Right. Right. Um, I ask people how much they're flashly, uh, uh, having gas, right? Like I, I want to know, Hey, are you eating? And then passing gas like immediately is it pretty raunchy (laughs) yes so you know when when you eat do you find that your lower abdomen is distended um are you getting like a sniffly nose or your is your throat kind of swelling up there's all these different kind of things we can look at and usually people are suffering from one of those things and they just uh think it's inconsequential because they've had it for so long right when you take like an unhealthy person from eating McDonald's every day, like, oh, I feel fine. What do you mean? And then you show them kind of the way of eating real food and they're like, oh, I feel really good. And then they eat McDonald's again. They're like, holy crap, I feel like shit. And it's right. like they had to come out of that water to see what they really felt like. So a lot of these people just don't know. And, and you know, farting more than 18 times a day is highly correlated in clinical research with uh, gut dysbiosis. And like, I know plenty of bodybuilders who fart well over 18 right. times a day, you know? And, right. Uh, things like that are just so you can slow the, let's just hypothetically say, you know, one of the things I see a lot in bodybuilders because we eat so much protein, um, we're taking compounds that can lower stomach acid due to like adrenergic stimulus, um, is, is low stomach acid, right? Like bodybuilders have a lot of low stomach acid and it's a very simple fix, but it can lead to, you know, a plethora of other issues like H. pylori overgrowth because mm-hmm. that stomach acid is going to prevent H. pylori from, populating the the colon and so um yeah man it it goes on forever like i i it is one of the probably the the hardest things i fight against um we do gi map tests with Mm -hmm. uh blood built and and when we're coaching people we always like to look at stool um as funny as it seems and and see what bacteria are present uh specifically because we don't necessarily know what species of bacteria are absolutely correlated with good, but we do know ones that are correlated with bad. Right. If we find what's going on that's bad. Maybe we can get an idea of what might, what we need to do. Um, sometimes that does look like an antibiotic protocol. Sometimes that looks like using Rifaximin for a couple of weeks. Sometimes that's, you know, um, hey, include more fermented vegetables, kimchi, sauerkraut, you know, dairy products into your diet. We'll get her fixed. But yeah, it's, right. it's all over the place. Yeah, no, it's interesting too, because I know a lot of the symptomology of that can be counterintuitive. Like I know a couple come to mind. One was someone with a low uh, gut acid, um, but they were having a lot of um, acid reflux. Acid yeah. reflux. And yeah. it was like, you would think you have, so they kept thinking they have too much. Yeah. So now they're pounding Tums, yeah. <laughs> which is lowering it even more. And it's just this chronic mm-hmm. cycle that you keep making the problem worse because it's temporarily giving you relief right but you really have to fix you know the actual the amount because you don't have enough is why that's coming up and i that was really fascinating for me when i first heard that and um i actually seen another another well more than once but i saw a situation with estrogen methylation where the individual was um uh producing lower estrogen later you know just a little later in life not not totally menopausal but and they were um uh, estrogen dominant symptoms. So on blood work, they're not producing enough estrogen. Their symptomology is estrogen dominance. Yeah. Well, what we found out was they were not methylating estrogen efficiently. And so basically in that like phase three, like right, right when it's going to the liver um, and kind of some of those enzymes and such, it was getting essentially like layman's terms backed up. And yeah. and then it was kind of causing some of that, you know, the, that spillover of like the estrogen dominance, if you will. So it's like, it's really interesting when you look at the full picture 
what people can see, you know, just not just from gut and right. metabolism. I think it's really important too, because a lot of guys think like the, you know, bodybuilders, like you could be getting in more good, healthy quality, just to even go on the other extreme. I was talking a little female there, but more in like the, the size side of things, yeah. like think of how much more, you know, meat and rice you can pound down if you have a good, healthy gut that can actually digest it better and nutrient absorption. And you can just get more in because you're not, right. you know, bursting at the seams. So yeah. is that something you also work on is people being able to like eat into a diet and kind of grow from that standpoint? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a huge part of it too. Is like, you know, calories are king in almost every situation, it, whether that's down or up, like they're going to make the most change to your body. And that's exactly true. Like if you can't eat, uh, you just don't have an appetite. We hear bodybuilders all the time. I don't have an appetite. Well, why is that? Because we should be, you know, you, after a while, you, you should adapt to the diet you have and develop an appetite. And if there's not, like, you're you're not going to grow, man. You got to eat. You know? Right. Um. And and so, what or they I say they eat. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but or they say they, they eat too much, right? Like, yeah. I eat all the time, and it's like, right. Just just <laughs> mathematically, it's not how this whole thing works. Like, you're yeah, not right. eating enough and not right. gaining weight. Sorry. No. Yeah. It's it's so factual and. So I, I always look at things, especially with bodybuilders, like how's, because we tend to forget like the liver is the first, well, one of the many first digestive organs in the system, right? It's before your intestinal tract. So understanding that the liver is part of that, it produces bile salts, it gets rid of all these metabolites, it it helps produce and uh, convert hormones like all over the across the body, uh, you know, understanding because us bodybuilders, we do damage our liver quite a bit from heavy training, um, you know, high uh carbohydrate diets contributing to fatty liver disease. We take, you know, some oral 17 alkylated compounds that do contribute to, you know, not the best hepatic system. Um, that stuff impacts the GI and, and downstream from there too. So it's, it's all connected. And I, I do like to, I find on prep, actually, most people's GI function improves and it's mostly because there's less food burden. There's not as much cheat food and right. there's more movement. So things start to speed up. Yeah. And then you're able to make sure that the food they are eating is very nutritious. It's fulfilling all the 150 essential nutrients and things start kind of spinning up really rapidly. And that's where you can like closer to the end of a show, you can really push up food because they're able to assimilate it so much more rapidly and you see the response almost immediately. And it's like, people know this feeling, right? Like when you're at the end of a show, one, you're more insulin sensitive, but I believe your digestion is just so efficient. You can eat you know, 400, 600, a thousand grams of carbs and then wake up the next day a pound lighter. Yeah. Uh, that's that, that wouldn't happen in an off season. And usually it's because you're slow, your, your digestion isn't as kinetic and there's probably some issues there pre-existing. Yeah. I saw, I, I did, I saw a show one time. It was like a, like a body transformation show. And I thought it was so cool for, you know, more general population people. Maybe some of them might compete compete someday in physique but majority won't but the fact that like they had an end date so they could really like get down low for them and see all those improvements and then maybe they coast okay maybe they put on five back of the 70 or 80 they lost like you know but then they would do it again because there would be like two shows a year and they made a big event and i just thought that was a a cool way again you know how many people are going to do that but i think there is some some value in just um you know people in general getting moving and you know, cutting down more and, and kind of all those improvements that you talked about. Cause it, it, it I think it, it just really in our society, the type of food, the, the quantity we have access to and the quality it's, oh, yeah. it works, it works against us. So, mm-hmm. um, one of the posts you had on here, uh, I did want to unpack a little bit about food is uh, the, the title is, is red meat bad for you. So yeah. can you walk through just what that entails and your thoughts on red meat? 
Yeah, boy, this is a heated topic. Um, I've definitely upset a lot of people talking about this, but you know, the if you look, if you factually just factually take foods and place them in order of per gram, how much nutrients they have, mm-hmm. you're you're gonna find eggs, red meat, and liver at the top. Now, I'm no carnivore guy. I'm an omnivore. I love all foods. I eat all foods, but there's something to be said about the nutrient density of those those foods. Now. You would hear mainstream media say that, like, hey, these things aren't good for you. You should actually avoid red meat. It'll give you heart disease and cardiovascular uh, disease, and you'll get, you know, heart attacks when you're 30 years old. Um, it's just a crock of um, – can we swear on here? I don't even – Sure. Okay. It's a crock of shit. Like, mm-hmm. you you only absorb about 15 to 20% of the dietary cholesterol you consume. Most of it is endogenously produced by your own liver, your own hepatic system. When we're looking at a cholesterol level, it's so irrelevant. And that's when people are going to pinpoint red meat's not good for you because it has cholesterol. You're yeah. only absorbing 15% that some people last, right? So uh, that is not the, the problem with cardiovascular disease. And likely cholesterol isn't the problem because we need to look at lipoprotein counts, not necessarily the total cholesterol volume uh, or amount and uh, in, in the amplitude of it. it. So first of all, like the whole idea that red meat saturated fat causes heart disease. I just don't personally believe mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of correlations to saturated fat being uh, having negative outcomes for cardiovascular disease. Um, but there's also a lot of correlations showing the opposite and they're very good and refined studies. And there's just, it's this dichotomy you see with almost any topic with training to failure or not training to failure with eating a high protein diet to eating one gram per pound of body weight. Uh, we, we see these huge shifts and dichotomies within PubMed and they call it paralysis by PubMed paralysis. Like you just mm-hmm. get so absorbed in, in the data and you start to woefully believe one side. Um, I personally believe that red meat is very nutritious. It can be leveraged to get, especially in like a dieting phase of, uh, you know, bison, for example, can give you a plethora of the B vitamins you need, choline, which is extremely important for nervous system function. And talking about muscle contractions and building contractile tissue, like you need acetylcholine to fire that motor unit to actually contract those muscle fibers. Well, acetylcholine sure. comes from choline, which comes from red meat, eggs, and organs. Like, sure. you, can, you can leverage these things in a, a season of even cutting to get more performance amplitude. Um, I just think it's it's sort of hysterical when people say, like, this is exactly bad. So I always like to kind of oppose opinions of what is generally assumed to be bad, you know. Is smoking bad? Well, yeah, it's it's definitely bad. We can see that it's bad, but it also, you know, not many smokers have Alzheimer's, right? Nicotine is extremely powerful at at preventing your cognitive decline, neurodegeneration right. through its nicotinamide receptor action, right? And and so to say something's hopefully bad is just I I, I disagree with it. So it's like yeah. I, I could talk all day about that topic, you know. And the I, it's funny cholesterol just it doesn't get absorbed like people right. think it does, and it's just yeah. Like, it's not like you eat an egg and it's like all oh, this cholesterol just goes into your bloodstream. It's you're producing most of your cholesterol. And if you have a high cholesterol, it's likely due to a really shitty metabolic system, not mm. the food you're eating, you know? So, yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, just, you mentioned, I was listening recently. Um, I guess I kind of heard this before, but then uh, like people that don't smoke, but they use like the nicotine gum Yeah, because like someone who's doing a big presentation or, mm-hmm. you know, something or like, a big study or something like yeah. they would, they're taking that just to, you know, as far as the, uh, the neurological benefits and the focus. Yeah. Well, there you go. I use, I use nicotine <laughs> patches occasionally. Yeah. 
So yeah, I just I just found that really fascinating. That that and then on the flip side of it, I remember years ago when I heard of like politicians using beta blockers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I had to go public speak, I was like, oh yeah, I was like, makes sense. I'm like, yeah. I would never wouldn't have thought of it. But um, there's all kinds of performance enhancements out there, and they're the same people that will pick one type of performance enhancement and just dog on it. It's like, well, didn't you right. just pop some beta blockers and nicotine <laughs> before you came up to give your to give yeah. your uh, your public address or whatever? So. Right. Right. We had a couple other good ones on here I want to get to because um, we haven't talked to guests about this before. So I know there's there's a slew of stuff we could talk about that mm-hmm. others have talked about on here. And, and, and again, we'll have to somehow fit it all in. But, you know, talk about improving sleep with nutrition on one of your posts. So can you just unpack a little bit of your findings and what you've seen with sleep improvement through nutrition? Yeah, yeah. So one thing I will say is if people want to shortcut this, and this is no plug, but you guys can use, you guys have an amazing sleep products uh at the rack it's like has everything i'm about to talk about but um what i personally look at is you know serotonin is converted into to melatonin and a lot of people forget that so they'll directly mainstream melatonin to get to bed um what the problem is with that is when we convert uh serotonin in our brain naturally it happens over a very long duration there's a very large area under curve so it keeps us asleep because it's like this slow undulating process when we take melatonin it's just like it hits us and it's out of the system and so likely you'll fall asleep but you won't stay asleep now in order to convert that serotonin to melatonin we require vitamin b6 and this is something that is in abundance within like a whole food based diet again red meat is a great opportunity to get a ton of vitamin b6 but a lot of people are deficient in it or we're heavy working athletes we sweat a lot we move a lot we Mm. expend a lot of these water soluble and even fat soluble vitamins and minerals and we need maybe more than what the recommended daily value is or even the adequate daily value and so getting a abundance of vitamin b6 through things like red meat dark leafy cruciferous vegetables various uh, foods is highly beneficial to improving sleep quality and you can also leverage that by increasing your intake of amino acids like tryptophan and tyrosine which are going to be the precursor molecules to neurotransmitters like serotonin so if you have a diet with abundance of these amino acids you have the precursors to create serotonin in the brain and you have an abundance of vitamin b6 you can convert serotonin into melatonin and you have restful sleep Um, another really powerful thing is endogenous insulin secretion can help one sleep extremely well so uh, a lot of people tend to remove carbohydrates before bed because of the fear of you know having that resting blood glucose and insulin circulating at a high level prior to bed. But that can actually help you sleep. And we know from tons of research that if one sleeps like a good eight hours, they're far more insulin sensitive and less inflamed in the mornings compared That's to people who get less sleep. So maybe you do sacrifice, you know, having a little bit of a lower fasting insulin uh, around the bed window, but when you wake up, you're highly uh, recovered and you have much more insulin sensitivity. So those are I, yeah. the main things I use. I was going to say, I've heard that. I, I have heard that both ways, you know, as far yeah. as not having it, you know, four, six, eight hours before bed versus like having it right before bed. And a lot of people, you know, to your point though, you can just go to the last time you had a really high carbohydrate meal. Like yeah. how did you feel it? You wanted to, you know, lay down, yeah. put your feet up, like you you were fatigued from it. Um, yeah. I'm curious too, because one of the things we're actually reformulating, when I say reformulating, not because it's bad, we're trying to update it to improve it, um, hit the rack with uh, L-theanine 
um, adding that into the the mix. Have you had any experience with clients using that? I mean, part of it is uh, Justin. Uh, I defer to him for the specifics on formulation. I'm just very biased to it because I've seen great results from it. But I'm just curious your feedback on L-theanine. Yeah, I mean, it's. I I think it's it's great. I don't think like again. I think you can get a lot of this stuff from your own diet. Like I don't think it's a. I think it can be used in an acute context. So that's where it would be beneficial in a product like that, right? You can, you can get a high dose of it in an acute setting. Um, but that's why we use a lot of supplements, right? Is because people's diets aren't necessarily in abundance of that. Right. or Maybe in, cause we have to remember too, like amino acids aren't going to be circulating in your blood for a very long time. So getting something like L-theanine in at a large dose prior to bed can be actually highly beneficial to creating those precursor molecules and keeping you asleep. Um, so I, I think it's great personally. I don't think it's like the game changer. I think if your habits are out of whack, you know, it's still, still not gonna... a huge difference, but yeah, I think it's going to help you get restful sleep. I'm not actually aware of any like human data that supports, um, how, if it like keeps you asleep or if it puts you to slow wave sleep any better. Um, so I'd, I'd be interested to see that. I, I guess Justin would probably be the guy to defer. Yeah. And in my situation, I know me personally, cause I, I went through, um, I was on Ambien for years. Um, so the, a combination of things that just rest my brain a little bit or kind of, you know, slow some of that, I guess you would call it anxiety, but it's more just uh, overthinking and things that seemed to help me. I don't know that it necessarily made me sleepy. It just kind of helped yeah. um, some of those effects. Like if it was like magnesium, I, I can feel like if I, if I hit a hot tub and I have like magnesium or theanine, yeah valerian root um you know any of those things like it doesn't knock me out by any means but it just gets my mind set to like i'm ready i'm okay i'm okay i can lay down now because if not i'm not even laying down like it's like you know it's still it's still go time what do you mean you know it's like i haven't slept in two days but it's still go time you know yeah i mean that's the nice part about l-theanine right is because it's it's structurally similar to um glutamate i was gonna think say glutamine it's glutamate in, in the brain which allows it to potentially like block glutamate receptors in your central nervous system, which settles you down. So I like it personally, if someone is like a type A individual, they're super, you know, like go, go, go. It's probably similar to you and I, where you get to that surrounding bed window and you're still like working on a project and it's like, shit, I have to go to sleep or like, I'm going to wake up terribly tired tomorrow morning. I think it's a good product to like calm the mind down and stop it from, you know, first stop your heart rate from being excessively high, but in the order of, you know, your central nervous system, like slow your heart rate down, slow breathing down, improve cognitive kind of mobility and allow yourself to calm down. So. Yeah. And as we kind of shift a little bit, um, with cardiovascular training, is there anything you've seen, you know, I know you, uh, uh, from looking at your content, you spent a lot of time reading up on things and, and obviously applying it to your clients. What's your approach generally to uh, cardiovascular from like a competitor and then maybe even like kind of a general population approach? Yeah. So I, I'm actually very similar to Justin on this. I love hit cardio for a lot of people. Um, I think that that um, ability to train your heart to increase heart rate, drop heart rate, increase heart rate is is very helpful, especially in, in a training setting when you can apply that in in training endurance, right? Like if I can do 
three more reps on a leg press because I can have that oxygen carrying capacity right? Um, compared to the guy that can't like those are three more reps that could potentially stimulate hypertrophy. And I got that through a little bit of hit. I think that's worth it in and of itself. But when we talk about being, you know, fuel efficient, like a, a great instance where I would love to use hit is uh, transitioning into an off season to a, from an off season to a, a competition prep. What hit cardio specifically can do doing interval training um, which is like, you know, balls to the walls for some amount of time, usually 30 to 60 seconds, and then, you know, resting or, or uh, slow paced cardio for another 30 to 60 seconds and repeating back and forth. Um, you get a, a ton of cardiometabolic adapt adaptation. So you get, you know, mitochondrial biogenesis. And with more mitochondria, we're going to be able to beta oxidize or burn fat better. And mm -hmm. so if someone's jumping into a prep in a very unconditioned state and they've probably, in all honesty, had a, a, a epigenetic change and a, a down regulation in mitochondrial function, um, it can be hard and, and a little bit laggy to get fat loss to occur. But if you're keeping them metabolically fit um, by doing just small proportions of hit cardio, it can be an easy transition to going from an off season to dropping fat quite immediately with that efficiency in play. And then it also makes the lower intensity steady state cardio, which I use as like the bulk share of my prep cardio, a lot easier too, because it's yeah. certainly not as hard as hit. And it's when you're conditioned to do hit, you're easily going to get down with the, the list or the low intensity steady state cardio. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I really like different types of intervals for a number of reasons. But the one of them, I, one of the things I think a lot of people, um, and again, in a prep, this may be overanalyzing it, but I think for, for general fitness improvement, call it, you know, you can control speed or resistance. So like incline or speed, yeah. but you can also use time, like do it for a minute off for a minute or 30, 30, whatever. And then you can use heart rate, you know, like mm. we're going to go, uh, just go, uh, too much, you know, 1% incline as fast as you can to hit 160 beats per minute. And then you're going to go, I'm making this up, but 3.5 miles per hour until you drop to 135 and then oh, you like go back that. up yeah. so that you can, it's like weight training. You know what I mean? Like you can, there's so many different facets to adjust and it's been a while since I've done more detailed cardio programming, but depending on the person and their lifestyle, it was like, how can I get the most bang for my buck? This person's so busy. Like they don't have the time or what are their goals? Like I can actually increase, you know, their cardiac output and just overall the recovery time that was the goal for a phase and then you know yeah. just kind of going through that so it's just it's interesting because um and if they're having a bad day you know like maybe that level 15 on a stairmaster just isn't is yeah. getting you to 175 when normally it gets you to 160 yeah. so i like the combination of all the different um measurements if you will that you can kind of play with and then depending on what you're doing but i think the key is there too to still stay consistent you can't just yeah roll the dice one day and you know go to the next and, and those type of things so no I, I think that's a really good idea actually i've never thought about doing the heart rate thing uh, that'd be a lot more i guess that'd be way better for someone who's not so driven because you can actually give them like very hard points like all right yep. just saying go all out you can say objectively i want you to hit this heart rate and you know they're working when they're doing that yeah i was really fortunate i got to spend quite a few years using uh we called it metabolic testing where they wore the mask and yeah. you know we could measure their rq values and their outputs and all that and that was pretty cool because you could go are right, you gonna hit 160 and hold it for five seconds and then recover and then like over the course of however long you know let's try to get you to 160 and hold it for 30 seconds where there's yeah. no chance you could ever hold that you could tell like look like you're 
right. the output is this, but at this heart rate now, and then you can look back, like you were doing 5.8 miles per hour at 160. Now you're at 7.2, you know, so you have all those different measurements that you can kind of use as, um, how do I put it? Like use as progress points, you know, mm-hmm. cause some people, you know, they just, what, for whatever reason, they just have their one measurement, like, you you know, general pop, it's like the scale, yeah. uh, bodybuilder is going to be a picture or whatever, but it's like, there's so many different things to do that. Um, so yeah, no, just, just found that, uh, found that, that pretty interesting. Um, but I did, I want to circle back to the beginning. One thing we didn't talk about. So I noticed in a lot of your posts too, you talk about cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Can you tell, tell this, the viewers out there and and i yeah i can't believe i missed that in our intro when we're going going through this we just kind of jump right in no but why do you talk about cerebral palsy so much and where does that come from yeah yeah so i'm you know first of all i'm very fortunate there's a lot of people who are uh, who have cerebral palsy and that's kind of why i post about a lot who are you know very physically disabled like they're either bound to a wheelchair or uh, they, they have to walk in canes. I'm sure many people have seen kind of what that looks like there. It's a neurological disorder. Basically, you can't control muscular contractions or the function of muscles. And so you get skeletal disorders because muscles form around bones, bones form around muscles. When one's disordered, the other one also is. So um, it can be very deleterious to people. And, and that's why I post about it a lot. Um, I have cerebral palsy. Uh, it's very mild. So I'm fortunate. Uh, if you, you know, we're a very careful observer. If you've ever seen me on stage, um, you'd notice that one leg is quite bigger than the other leg. I hide it really well with posing, uh, mm-hmm. thankfully. And I, I train my ass off to try to <laughs> equate the two legs. But um, I basically can't control my right leg from my knee down. Um, okay. So I like if you were asking me to like curl my toes right now, I could absolutely do it with my left foot. I could not do anything with my right foot. I can barely even feel my right foot. So that's really the extent of, of my problems. Of course, there's like it extends through the whole right side of my body. Um, it, it affects the left side of my brain. It affects the uh, right side of my body. And so like there's little things here and there that I like, you know, I, I, I can move my scapula, but I know there's like it's not moving quite as well as my my left scapula. Sure. Um, and so like I, I just took this journey on bodybuilding. It's why I had such an interest in coaching and learning more about the human body uh, to, to advance myself past what I perceived as limits that the doctors gave me, you know, they said, Hey, I'd be in a wheelchair by the time I was 30. Um, cause it's degenerative. Like you slowly lose function if you're not using that function. Um, and I was like, fuck that, you know, like, no way. So, uh, right. I, I really just researched. I, that's where I got into like muscle, right. As I like researched how to build muscle, how does muscle function? How does a motor unit work? Like what is the prerequisites to a motor unit? How do androgens work and how do they stimulate muscle growth in particular areas? And that just kind of led itself down to, um, being where I'm at now with the amount of knowledge I have is because I wanted to circumvent cerebral palsy or at least be better than what I was told I could be. Yeah. And, and you know, that's why I post about it to this day is like, I think it's, it's not like the most impressive achievement in the world, but it's, it's something that I think people can look at and at least say like, okay, I, I can look, I might not be Chris Bumstead, but I can look pretty fucking good as right. long as I put the work in. And I try to, you know, with my YouTube channel and stuff, I try to show, how hard I train and how, how much, like I, I tell people this all the time. Like I haven't missed a meal in probably three years, like yeah. six months a day, you know, and it's that consistency, that work ethic will get you there. It, it'll get you 90% of the way. Genetics will get you the the 10%. That's the the top 20 in the, the Olympia, you know, but it, it's, it, it's so important to show people that just because you're, you know, you have this thing, it doesn't have to be cerebral palsy, but you have anything, right? Like any kind of, 
right. malfunction in the human body. Like you can still be great. And it just requires maybe more work, but work. And, and that work is not a bad thing. And people perceive it all too often as a bad thing. Yeah, no, I think it's a really great message. I appreciate you sharing that because, yeah. you know, it's kind of everyone has their obstacles. I seen your post and was like, I, I, you know, I just, when I first started seeing your content, I was like, why is he posting about that? And then I had to, you know, once I put two and two together, I was like, wow, yeah. I was like, wait, wait a minute. What, is he being serious with that? Like, I, you know, cause, yeah. cause like you said, it, it, you've overcome it so well that it, I, I didn't know what you meant by it. You know, it was just, um, so I think that's a really great message for people out there. Everyone has, you know, their obstacles and challenges and it's just an example of how you can work to, uh, to overcome that. So, yeah, it's funny. Cause a lot of people will say like, Oh, you're faking it. There's no way. Um, and I was in a, a cat, like I, when you're, like I said, your bones kind of misform because the, the muscles not surrounding them. It's just not functional or it's hypertonic. So the muscles contracting chronically, mm. that was my calf. So my, my right foot was twisted inwards like this. So I had to wear like a skeletal brace to reform my bone back. And that was fucking painful for a yeah. lot of my childhood. And I have tons of pictures of me wearing this cast and me walking funny and stuff like that. And so like people always say, Oh, you're faking it. I'm like, no, dude, like I grew out of this stuff. Like I, you know, I trained out of it and I'll show pictures of like me in that cast or like me, I have this one picture uh, of me in Halloween and I'm dressed as like a, a ninja and I'm standing next to my cousin and, um, she's like walking down the street and I'm walking too, but my foot's like this, you know, I'm walking like this. Yeah. It's like it's people don't understand, but it's, you can, you can develop muscle and control of your muscle. It's just not as, it's not going to be as good as you know, you might be in an instance, but sure. No, I appreciate you sharing that. Well, I know we're, uh, we're coming up on time here, so I want to be respectful of your time. We definitely uh, have a ton more we could we could unpack. But uh, before we break, you know, one thing we always do is uh, a round of rapid-fire questions. We call it shoot, move, communicate. So I will uh, navigate us through these questions if you're ready for them. We got generally their uh, short answer or, or a single word, but I'll kind of prompt you through it, and uh, we'll go from there. So you ready to get, get rolling? Let's do it. All right, good deal. Uh, what, is, what accomplishment in coaching has made you most proud? Oh, um, probably, uh, it sounds silly, but getting my, one of my best friends, his name is Parker, um, getting him qualified for nationals under like the, the most amount of pressure in the world. Like he has, he just had a second kid, like during that prep, um, his, his wife was, you know, going to law school at the time and family was just like in eight different places all at once and managing him and his mindset was so hard. And obviously like we had the connection of him being my best friend, right? Um, and seeing him walk across the stage after like a, literally like a 26 week prep, it took forever. Uh, and, and getting that, securing that qualification for this year was like the most emotionally driven thing for me. Cause it, I had, you know, be, basically been with him through the, all the stuff that had happened through, through the prep and, you know, heard the stories from him. And when he checked in, I'd be like, Oh fuck. Like, you know, he's holding water cause he's stressed. What happened? I did, I slept two hours last night. Like, fuck dude. Um, so having that end product result in, in a nationals qualification, winning an overall, like that was absolutely, um, probably one of the best moments I've ever seen, you know, just having this whole family there, watching them like cheer them on and awesome. me being just a part of that system was absolutely just more than I could have ever asked for. Good deal. Well, so. next up, we'll ask the question, uh, uh, what about accomplishment, uh, in your competitive life that has made mm. you most proud? What would that be? Oh man, that's a, oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm never satisfied with myself, unfortunately. 
Uh, I think, you know, me kind of jumping into the scene relatively unknowledgeable initially and in, in winning my national pro card, just like I said, through blunt force trauma was pretty impressive. Um, I, I don't know many people who could sustain, you know, eight weeks of 75 minutes of cardio twice a day and, and, you know, literally eating meat and vegetables for, for that long. And it, it was, uh, you know, as hell, but it was like, cool. Like, this is what we got to do. Um, and, right. and at the end of the day, I was like, I was really happy with myself and I, I learned a lot, you know, people, say the military is hard people will say you know working a labor job is hard like i 100 percent in full force into like bodybuilding can be the hardest thing in the world and it can put you in the darkest places and for me that was like a, a very big uh, uh, pivotal moment in my life where i learned a lot about myself personally in the time i spent alone showed me a lot of who i am so it wasn't necessarily accomplishment because i won but it was because i shifted from a guy who was just kind of normal to a competitor going like balls to the walls like yeah. you know better but did it anyways and and got some results that, that's kind of went through the journey more or less the hero's journey awesome no good stuff well the next question i won't ask but i'll still say it uh, we usually say our products here at first attachment are battle tested so can you describe a situation or time of life when you're battle tested i think you pretty much knocked out of the park with a cerebral palsy example and working <laughs> through that so I, I don't think you can top that one but uh uh, let's see here. Well, you know, what would be one word of encouragement to like a young and up and coming competitor? Mm. Uh, what, what would that be for you? Uh, yeah. Discomfort. You know, um, I, I'm a huge proponent and I post about a lot. Find discomfort. If you can, if you're comfortable, you're losing, you know, there's mm. somebody, there's some motherfucker out there who's uncomfortable as hell right now, but he's making progress. And yeah. the longer you sit around comfortable, you know, sitting nice and lazy, the more time you're wasting that that closer that other guy gets out there and this is true of business in relationships in in bodybuilding in almost any endeavor rest assured if you're comfortable you're not working hard enough yeah no it's great i appreciate that all right we got another one uh if you had to miss one what would it be a meal a night of sleep or a training session <laughs> oh that's tough man um fuck uh I'm honestly going to say a training session. I'm going to okay. say a training session. Just from a progression standpoint, I think I wouldn't have as much uh, progress lost if I missed a training session over sleep or food. All right, good deal. Well, the other thing we like to say around here is we're all in uh, first attachment. So the question is, you know, what is something you're just you're all in on right now? Like, what's cool. your passion project? What do you what do you have in the works? Um, man, I my passion project is bigger than I can even comprehend right now. I, I want to build a business and I want to be a successful bodybuilder. But more than anything, I want the people I'm surrounded with, this team, like everybody I work with. I want everyone to rise. I want all ships to rise, and I want to be at least a part of it and help that yeah. water go up. Um, my end goal is just to, to have a community of people who know I'm dependable and reliable and we grow together. And at the yeah. end of the day, like, that's what I'm super passionate about, whether that represents itself in my business or somebody else's or my bodybuilding career or somebody else's, like, I just want to be a part of it and help everyone succeed. That's really the best I could ask for. No, I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, we, I know all of our listeners were get a lot of, value out of this um so be sure to you know give colton a follow out there guys check out his content uh, we'll definitely have him back on in the future we'll probably do some round table stuff with three or four guests uh, in the future we're kind of collaborating on some other content that'll come your way but um 
you know all the all the fun youtube stuff be, be sure to like subscribe and comment and then always you know leave your questions there if there's something specific maybe we didn't get to tonight with colton uh, either when we have him back on for a q a we'll be able to knock that out or uh we'll, we'll hunt him down to try to get that answer so for all of you out there listening thanks so much and uh, we'll see you have a good night thank you